All right, well, it is good to be with you this morning, and uh, I want to, as we begin, put forth the scenario to you. First of all, to say, uh, we will continue on in the Hall of Faith next month, Lord willing, but God really impressed upon my heart, um, uh, even at the last minute, so to speak, to um, speak in a different direction today, but I want to present to you, uh, by way of introduction, a scenario. Um, a woman decides to end the life of her child, brutally. We see stories in the news about this, and if, in a lot of cases, if I were just to say that to you, um, right off the bat, people would say, well, that woman needs to go to prison, perhaps even lose her life because she killed her child. She is guilty of murder. And yet... In our country, the country of the United States of America, we allow this to happen every day. 1.5 million times a year. We allow this in the form of abortion. And it's a tough issue, I will admit. But one thing that I find interesting about it is that the political people, well, they say that's a religious issue, so often they don't want to touch it in their discussions. The religious people say, well, that's a political issue, so we don't want to talk about it. I would submit to you this morning that it is a moral issue, and so we need to talk about it. We need to be willing to intelligently dialogue about this issue and to talk about this with mercy, true, with love, true, but it needs to be discussed. And we will open the scriptures today, the Lord willing, and we will discuss several things that the Bible has to say about life. So before we do that, though, let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask for you to be here with us. We ask that you would uh, open your word to us and show us what it is you have to teach us this morning. Lord, we pray that we would go forth from this place, changed people, that we would uh, seek to know your will and to do it. You've told us that faith without works is dead. So help us to add works to our faith, not as a way to be saved, but as a result of being saved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My main text this morning... I'll raise this a little bit. My main text this morning is from Psalm 139. And then we'll look at some 
various other passage, so I hope your page-turning finger is limber, and you are ready to um, go on a journey today. And I want to uh, start with verse 13, and just read several verses here. Verse 13 of Psalm 139. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in countenance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I shall be with thee. And that's Psalm 139, verses 13 to 18. And as we think about this issue of life, we can go right back to the beginning. And let's look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, and he blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth on the earth. And so we, we see this beginning of mankind, God deciding that, they, that he wanted to make man in his own image. That he wanted to have fellowship with us. That is the first point I want to make this morning. Human life is valuable not because of the great contributions that you can make to society, not because you are smart and have intellect, not because you have great physical ability, Matter of fact, the Bible says that the Lord delights not in the strength of man, but that he delights in those who fear him. So what is the value of human life? The value of human life is that it was made in the image of Almighty God. And we can also read on and find that God breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living soul. And that's the difference between mankind and any animal. And one thing that continues to distress me through my daily life is, you see, not always, because we, we should care for, for our animals. The Bible says that the righteous man provideth for his beast. 
and is gentle toward him. But the thing that I find very disheartening is that the Bible says that we were put on this earth to have dominion over it, to subdue it. And yet we say in our culture, save the whales, but kill the humans. We don't say those words, but that's, that's the way that we bring forth these issues. And we, we need to engage. Yes, if you so choose, you can go on and not engage in this issue. But this issue will come up because it's a big part of our culture. And now we're seeing an erosion of another part of our culture. The, the Supreme Court is fixing to uh, approach in April the issue of homosexual marriage. I believe we're on the brink of another Roe versus Wade, where the justices are going to decide for us what the definition of marriage is. We need to be ready to engage. So, going on through the Bible... And of course, we're just going to scratch the surface. But if you look at the beginning of Genesis chapter 4, go with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 says, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Eve, the first woman, knew where children came from. They come from the Lord. <clears throat> there are people in the scriptures and even today that are unable to have children. I understand that. A familiar passage that people often quote when they go through a long period of infertility and then God gives them a child is that, is that part in 1 Samuel where Hannah is pouring out her heart and she says, for this child I have prayed and he answered the petition that I requested of him. But the sad fact of the matter is that I see in this culture and even sometimes within the church I see people they have the attitude of blessed are the barren. That, that think of children as commodities that might be cute to have, but not as the blessings that God intends them to be. My sister-in-law Sarah is already getting the why would you have such a big family questions, and she only has four. To me, that's very sad. I'm thankful for each and every one of my siblings. And if it weren't for each and every one of them, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today and be the man that I am. Then we continue to move through the scriptures. We see the flood. And it takes out everyone except for eight people. Noah, his wife, 
his sons, and their wives. And in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. So God is reiterating this command. And he never took it back. You'll never find a scripture where he took it back. Continues to be his desire and his heartbeat. And we will continue on as we do. We will see that even Jesus himself had something very important to say about children. But as we continue through Genesis, and I know I realize this is just an overview and we're going a lot of different places, but I would encourage you to study some of this stuff in more detail on your own. You know, one of the things I'm realizing as a speaker that it's not my job to teach everything. But to me, my, to, to my way of thinking, my biggest job is to get people excited about the Word of God so that they will dig into it themselves. Amen. So that they will be challenged to search the Scriptures to see if the things that I say are so. Because you know what? What I have to say is not important. But what God has to say is very important and we can't afford to ignore it. In Genesis chapter 20, We see the story of Aram, and he journeys, and he goes into a far country. And he sees his wife, and he says, Tell them you're my sister, because if they know that you're my wife, they will kill you, kill me, and they'll take you. Well, she did. And uh, they didn't kill him, but they took her. And I just want to focus on um, well, I, I want to read first of all, starting in verse 6. Or verse verse 4. Let's start in verse 4. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said to the Lord, Wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, She is my sister? And she, even she herself, said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, Yes, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart. For I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore I suffered thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet. And he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore them, her not, know that thou shalt surely die and all that are thine. And then the end of the chapter, um, it says in verse 17, So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up the wounds, wombs, of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. 
So in this case, we see that barrenness was a punishment. It was not a blessing. It was a punishment from God that was only revoked when Abraham was restored his wife. As we continue on through Genesis, we see in chapter 30, verse 1, And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I God? Am I in God's stead, whom hath withheld thee the fruit of the womb? So again, we see God's divine control over the womb. And I'm not saying that this contest between Rachel and Leah was right, because it wasn't. But I noticed that when Leah had her sixth child, she still said, praise the Lord. There wasn't this attitude that I'm only going to have children if they fit into my timetable. There was an attitude that children are a blessing and that God, if God chooses to bless your union with children, it's because he wants to bless you. Now we will go into Exodus and I... Trust me, we're not going to go through all 66 books. But there is some good stuff here. Exodus. Chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. Talks about a pharaoh that did not know Joseph. Remember, Joseph was the second in command of the Pharaoh. And because of Joseph's position with the Pharaoh, he was able to bring his uh, family into Egypt and they were able to be preserved. But God had told Abraham, we we discussed this a few weeks ago, God told Abraham before they even went to Egypt that your people will, will be in bondage for 400 years and then they will be delivered. But this is what it says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 15. And the king of Egypt spoke unto the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was Sherah, and the name of the other was Puah. And he said, When you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, you shall kill him, but if it be a daughter, then she shall live. And this is a very important phrase here. But the midwives fear God and did not, as the king of Egypt commanded, but save the men children alive. And of course we know that because of that, Pharaoh took the next step and started throwing baby boys into the river. 
But the number one reason why I am so passionate about this issue is because I fear God. And God says life is precious. So it needs to be precious to us. We could go through many more scriptures and we would find many more things that God has to say about children and the fact that they are a blessing. But I just think about that story of the children of Israel. I don't remember if it was in the Pentateuch or if it's in Judges about how God specifically told them, don't sacrifice your children to Molech. Because child sacrifice was big in some of the heathen cultures that the Israelites were around. And even when God called Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son Isaac, he stopped him from doing that. And sent a ram in substitution. But you know what? That is what America is doing today. They are sacrificing their children to Moloch. We, we have the generation of people that are 65 and older is bigger than any other demographic we have right now. People are always talking about, what are we going to do with all these older people? How are we going to support them? Not even entering into the conversation of many of them is the fact that there's 50 million people that should be here. Between the ages of 42 and now, the oldest of them would be 40. Think about how that would stabilize or at least make more stable our economy. Think about the discoveries, maybe even the cures for disease that could be present if we weren't killing off our future. Let's go back to Psalm 139 for a few moments. And then we'll go to Matthew 19. But I want to go back to Psalm 139. <coughs> Psalm 139 was our starting point this morning. And I find it interesting how God confirms science. Because this, this psalm was written before any ultrasound machines. It was written before the full understanding of conception that we have now. And yet, the psalmist speaks the truth. 
for thou hast possessed me, possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. The mother's womb should be the safest place for a child. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Do you know there is more pressure than ever to kill imperfect babies? 90% of babies with Down syndrome are killed by abortion. And yet, they have the gift of being children for their whole life. Why is this a gift? Because Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. People that I know who have mental defects of one sort or another, They may be simple, they may be slow, but they know an awful lot about loving people. And they can teach us an awful lot. And even if the only thing someone does on the surface is teaches you about service as you serve them, because they can't give anything back to you, they have done a work. Because we can all learn to be better servants. We would do well to learn from our master who didn't go to the elite of society. He didn't go to the perfect of society. Because you see, because of their seeming perfection, they didn't realize how imperfect they were. He went to the imperfect. Let's look at this again. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knows right well. That's not a conditional verse. That's true of every person in whom the breath of life is. It's true of the baby in the womb. It's true of the babies that live only shortly after their birth, and it's true of those who are 85 and 90 and looking at the end of life. It's true of every human life. Why do you think God said in Genesis chapter 9 that if a man sheds innocent blood, by man shall his blood be shed? He said it because life is valuable. Some of my pro-life brethren and past colleagues say, well, if you're pro-life, you should be against the death penalty because every life is precious. I, I, you know, I'm not here to grandstand or make this political, but I just want to say this. I am for the death penalty because life is precious. Because God told Noah, if a man sheds someone's blood, his blood should be shed. And then it says, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts 
of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, when in continuance, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Do you realize that a baby's heart starts beating two weeks after conception? That by 20 weeks, it has been established that an unborn baby feels pain. That's the basis of this infant pain protection bill that the House and the Senate are working on. We have more technology than ever. There's a statistic I heard when I was working for Right to Life that said 90% of women, if they saw their baby on an ultrasound, would not choose to abort. And now in the state of Michigan, we have a law that says that women have to be offered the chance to see an ultrasound. They cannot be compelled to see one. They have to be offered that chance. And you would not believe, or maybe you would, how much Planned Parenthood fought against that. Because the devil came to seek to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy human life because it's made in the image of God. I don't know how often we take the time to think about it in those terms, but he does. He wants to destroy human life because it's made in the image of God. And then it says, in verse 17, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I shall be with thee. And that's his thoughts of everyone. He's already counted the hairs on the heads of the unborn babies in our church. He knows them. He loves them. He has a plan for them. And we need to be prepared to pray for them and to do what we can to help their parents to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's the mandate of the church. Let's look at what Jesus said about children. We talked about one aspect of that. I'm just going to close with this. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. And of course I would encourage you to think about these things and study these things for yourself because it is a fascinating study and when you realize God's place in this place as with so many other areas of our life then you then you realize that just as our job matters to God just as our the way we live our lives on a daily basis matters to God so do our children, so does the next 
generation. And we know that it only takes one generation for people to forget God. Because in Judges, there arose a generation that knew not Joshua, nor the works that God had done in the children of Israel, and they forgot God and they walked away from Him. We cannot save our children. They have to make that decision for ourselves. But as Charles Spurgeon said, if people must go to hell, may they go to hell leaping over us who are trying to keep them from there. Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 19 and I, I kind of find it interesting that you'll, you'll see that right after he's talking about the, the necessity for some people to be eunuchs. Some are eunuchs from birth. Some are eunuchs for heaven's sake. If you're able to receive this, receive it. But then he reinforces the value of children when, he, when in verse 13 it says this, of Matthew chapter 19, verse 13, then were brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them. And departed. Thence. That's one scene in the Bible that I would have loved to see. I would have loved to see Jesus lay his hands on the children. He could have justifiably said, I have many more things to do. I have people to see. I'm a pretty important guy. But he was meek and lowly of heart. And he said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he said that for children as well as for adults. My question for you today, do you have the attitude about children that Jesus does? It can be tempting because we have, in many ways, the power to set our own agenda, to put them on the back burner and only put them on the front when we feel like it or when it seems to fit into what is right. But you see, as we uphold the lives of the unborn, we bring a new value to life in all of its stages. For it is the children of today who will be taken care of 
the older people of tomorrow. And as they are taught that their life is valuable, they are also at the same time taught that the lives of their elders are valuable. Jesus, or James said in his epistle, True religion and undefiled is this, to visit the fatherless and the widow and the orphan and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. We need to exercise true religion. I need to do it as much as anyone else. May we all pray for one another that we would be a church that is known by that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you that you open and close the womb. We thank you that you are in control. Lord, we pray for this nation that you would bring us back to you. Where you've said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And Lord, we have so much rich Christian heritage to be thankful for, and yet even organizations that used to stand for you, that were founded on principles of your word, are no longer that. They are devoid of you. And your very name is an offense to so many people. Lord, we pray that you would help us to continue to shine bright in this dark world. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus, our risen Savior, the lover of all mankind, in Jesus' name, amen. amen.